This week on the podcast, we are talking about balance, or the lack of it, or the or the <laughs> or the searching for it and the seeking of it. Right you there, know, you go. The the journey towards balance. <laughs> Because in some ways, it feels like this is a somewhat elusive part of our lives, isn't it? You know, and uh, and the layers of balance from my internal balance to my balance of my work and my family, the way it swings one way or the other, to the balance of the type of work or the scale of work or my doing work, my doing my volunteer work in my community versus this crazy international work we do. I mean, there's so many layers to this balance thing, and um, and I feel like it. We, you know, I definitely don't feel like I ever get it quite right. Maybe that's the way we start. I don't, you know, we're talking about a podcast on balance. If you're hoping in this podcast, <laughs> you're going to walk away with the sweet answer on how to balance your life effectively. I think that's highly unlikely. We should shut it off now. I think shut it off now. <laughs> I think that's yeah. what you're saying. So I had a boss. Who, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I'm really good for our podcast. Shut it off now. No, no, stay listening. Exactly. We'll give you. No answers, but an interesting discussion. That's right. Uh, thought-provoking discussion, even. Thought-provoking, yes. Indeed. There you go. Heartwarming, thought-provoking, somewhat humorous. <laughs> well, we'll right. find it funny anyway. Indeed. So I used to have a boss who was like, oh, I hate balance. I hate that word. Like you should never use it. Um, And this is when I worked at the women's place at Ohio State. And she was like, you know, women are always like trying to seek balance. She's like, and the thing is, there is no balance. It's impossible. She's like, Mm. it's always you have multiple balls in the air and she's and you're going to drop some. She's like the Mm. thing as a working mom. And I'm, you know, I think this is true for working dads, too. But, you know, our our thing was um was women. And she's like, the thing is a working mom is like, you're always going to drop balls. You just have to make sure one of the balls you drop isn't your children. Uh, and I really, really liked that. I thought that was uh, really, really good. Um, and that felt really, really right to me. And, but Tim, now I got to say like, well, shit, sometimes I do drop my children, right? Like I want, like, they're like the most important thing. They're the ball I least want to drop, but like, and I don't think like to their huge detriment, but like this morning, I got mad and yelled at one of my kids. Like that's mm. dropping a ball, right? And mm. like, and I apologized and I took responsibility and we talked about it. And I, you know, I mean, she left and went to school smiling and joking with me about how I lost my stuff. But do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I've often gone back to that and been like, oh shoot, sometimes you even drop your kids. Like, and that's mm. part of it too. And like, you don't want to, but even that measure of, drop any balls except for your kids even feels maybe even too high of a bar. Like uh, just be human. Sometimes you're going to drop all your balls and I've maybe taken this metaphor too far. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what you were making me thinking, cause we've just gone straight into family and I think a huge piece of, cause you know, let, you know, folks who were kind of long-term listeners on the podcast know that like family and care for family is a core principle mm-hmm. of how we work together. Like That's it's right. something we've said is kind of a non-negotiable that like, if we, we don't want to be doing work, then in that compromises our ability to be in, in relationship with our kids and our families and, and that. And so um, I, I find with my kids that like, uh, um, I'm not necessarily balanced between all of them. Mm. Like right now, I've got a particular focus on one of on Oliver. Right, you know? right. Like, 
Stuff's going down with Oliver right now that right. needs my attention, you know. And like Elliot's just kind of like doing his thing and like piling through life and he seems pretty okay. Right. And Emma's had some weird stuff going on, but we've been checking in about it. And she seems like she's back on an even keel again. So I'm in with Oliver. So like, I mean, it's almost like it's not it's not balanced, but it feels appropriate to need right. or something. Right. And I guess I you wonder, I mean? 100%, like, yes, because I just feel like my kids need different things and they need different things at different times of the day. For example, mm. even right, like like even mm. the times of when they need me is different based on like the actual hour of the day, right? right. My son doesn't need anything until about ten o'clock at night. Then right. you know, so it's just like there's something I'm wondering as you're saying that if like we have somehow equated balance with equal, or uh, do you know what I mean? Like equi- equilibrium, right? Exactly. Or like, oh, you know, um, if I'm really balanced between my kids, I give one fifty percent of my attention and the other fifty percent of my attention, and that's you know yeah. what I mean. Like, there's something about um, balance is uh, uh, kind of a moving target that I think um, is where we get the heartache, right? Like when we just try to split it down the middle, or oh, okay, if I have work and myself and my children, right, and that's thirty three point three percent of each of these, you know what I mean? But like on any given, and if day, I'm not achieving that target, I'm a bad person. Exactly, right? On an, uh, any given day, it might be wildly skewed, right? Yeah. Wildly skewed. It might be like ninety percent went to work today, right? But then, you know, I hope at some point, 90%, 100% goes to my kids or like, or even, oh, oh shoot. Or maybe even a hundred percent goes to me or, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a balance. Balance is something that becomes apparent over time. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Rather than something you achieve in a moment. Right. I think that's true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I was also, I just, I love that because it just, it's less stressful that way, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. And then you can think about your balance over your lifetime too. Right. 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 You, you know, but there has to be some center to that. There has to be some like, what's important to me. Mm-hmm. There has to be some like, uh, I'm not sure balance can be achieved if that's even an appropriate thing to say. Uh, uh, without some kind of pivot point for things to move from, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like if it's, if I didn't have a core principle around attention and time to my family. Right. Right. If I didn't have a core principle around the kind of people I want to work with and the kind of work I want to do in the Mm -hmm. world, if I didn't have a core principle around contributing to the community I live in Mm, mm -hmm. and participating in it, you know, if I didn't have, you know, if I didn't have a core principle around trying to reduce my environmental impact, right. These, I mean, these are just things that are like I'm thinking about at the moment. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like there's a balance between those things that I'm trying to achieve in my life. But if I don't spend the time to articulate those things, actually, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, if there's a vacuum there, it's just, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I have an Im- yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think there's such um, I don't even know the right words, but like the almost like the energy of all the things that could grab our attention in life could just like push you along, right? You yeah. could just you could just unintentionally move through your life, get to your grave, and like oh, that's how I spent my time. 
right? Like, is that what mm-hmm. I did? And so there's something that you're saying around intention that at least naming what's important makes giving that our attention um, so much more possible, so much more possible. Because if I don't name that I want to uh, make sure that I'm with my children well without distraction, I could actually spend a lot of time with my kids, right? And But then mm-hmm. be on my phone or be on my computer, or, you know, all the different things you can do. Um, but it also occurs to me, Tim, that while we may not ever, and I think that this is true, I mean, I think it's a moving kind of target, right? I think, and I think that's, while we may not ever kind of reach this kind of uh, enlightened state of balance, I feel like we do know often when we're out of balance. Can feel right, it, right? Right. So that feels much more, um, balance might be hard to get to, but when we're definitely out of balance, often we can feel that. Like our body gives us signals, oh. our mind gives us signals, our spirit gives us signals. Like, so I think that's an interesting thing. I think we're often oscillating between poles. Mm-hmm. We're often like moving between different areas of focus or types of extreme in our life. And, you know, when we do our work uh, with, uh, with kind of like systems, clients, individuals, communities, you know, we'll talk about that need to like strike a balance between just enough order, mm-hmm. right? So things can evolve effectively, mm-hmm. right? And enough chaos so that we're learning and we're creative. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's the whole D, D Hoc's work around the, cha- the chaotic right. path, right? But like, but like that's a real piece of balance that we bring into our work and we make really visible to people we're working with. But it's, but I don't feel like it's ever introduced as, uh, you need to get right. to that sweet spot in between. Right. It's like there are times when we need to put in place kind of like order and structure. And there are times when we need to like, you know, dismantle and engage with and work with chaos. And and um, and I think it's that oscillation. It's like the, the, the spaceship on the journey to the moon, 99% of the time it's off target. Do you know what I mean? Because it goes one way and little arms are good. Beep, 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 beep. And then it goes back the other way, get back up, you know, and I feel like that's what that internal system is that you're Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, so I'm just, just like picking up some things here. So one is like intention, Mm -hmm. like if we're seeking greater balance in Mm -hmm. our lives, some clarity and some intention is important, you know, but there's another piece you've just identified there, which is that if we're seeking greater balance in our lives, you know, actually being in tune with your inner guidance system for lack of a right. better word, right. you know, is really, really important. And we'll often talk about the role of intuition in the mm-hmm. work, you know. We often talk about the artistry yeah. of trying to get change run. This isn't a technical thing we're talking about, significant systems change. It involves an artistry. It involves an ability to tune into yourself and the circumstances you're in and respond to things that aren't necessarily logical or conceptual but are felt, mm-hmm. you know. And you're right. I can feel when I'm off balance. Right. You know, I can feel when I've oscillated too far, like the spaceship that goes, beep, 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 <laughs> nope, you're off course. I can, I can feel that. And I don't know what that is that does that. You know, I don't have like a spiritual or religious framework that articulates that for me at the moment in my life, you know, but I do know it's there. I can feel mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think it's true. And I wonder about, um, I wonder about 
how much we give permission in our work to not have like the right get the sweet spot, but how much we demand it of ourselves. Like I just feel like, you know what I mean? Like mm. how like there can be a places or even like share our, with our friends. Oh yeah, I know you're doing great. You know, you're juggling lots of stuff. You're handling it all well. And then internally though, we don't give ourselves kind of some of that grace to be like, oh, actually you're figuring out, you're oscillating. That's okay. This is how it works. What happens is you do spend too much time there or, you know, like that, that's how we learn. So I was just wondering about the difference of like how much we can allow it for others or in our work, but then like really contract or get strict about it with ourselves and somehow think we aren't meeting this, um, particular goal or aren't meeting this particular way we want to be a, be in life yeah and I think like the hunger that I feel for balance right I mean balance every year Katie and I kind of talk about an intention for the year we do these drives down to New Hampshire to see family for Christmas and we get eight hours in a car mm. together and so we balance is the word the 2019 right and um oh no now I've forgotten what I was going to say what it is is I've got like competing thoughts in my head but you know both of them you though? know Oh, well, I think then you so. Say them both. And so, okay. So, um, well, well, one is I want us to talk about this concept of balance in terms of uh, that internal guide system, guidance, guidance system, as it relates to an innate sense of justice or equity. Is that something you can just feel? Because the the ancient English word, you know, heolor is the Anglo-Saxon word for balance. Uh, in English and it's the same word that is applied to kind of spiritual balance that is applied to bat to the scales of justice the mm, balance of justice interesting it's the mm. same word it's just a hate or law is the anglo-saxon word and so I just feel there's something interesting like is it the same is there something in like you, you know so I, I want to talk about that the other the other one is kind of like this I think there are moments when I feel completely imbalanced mm. hmm I think there are moments, you know, I think there's moments when it's just like, yeah, man, everything's great. You know what I mean? Like there are moments when like, I can, f despite the insanity of what seems to be happening in the world around me, despite what I read on the news about what's happening in the UK around Brexit, you know, or what's going on in the UK, around your government there or what's happening um, in terms of movements of people or conflict or, or even what's happening in my own community. Like despite all the vicissitudes of everything that's going on in the world, you know, um, there are moments when I can totally experience a feeling of balance, like even in the midst of all of that. And I think my hunger and my thirst for balance is actually heightened by what I'm experiencing happening in the world around me, you know, and I think that's true for a lot of people. I think a lot of us are like, oh, my God, shit's going f crazy right now. Had to rein in that word. Shit's going crazy right now, you know. And uh, um, and that makes our thirst for being able to hold balance in the midst of it all even greater. Mm. So I, I have a, a couple of thoughts. I'm just going to start talking and we'll see where we go. Because one is I wonder if we're, we're talking about two different things. For me, balance is like where I put my attention and energy and time. Uh, it's not that place of stillness where I think it's okay. Those actually are two very distinct things for me. Um, so my feeling of all of this in the world is going crazy. Um, and I'm 
within myself understanding that it's okay. And I feel okay. That mm. feels quite different mm. to me than balance. Uh, although I can see mm. where you're going with that. Um, <clears throat> but if we think about balance in the way that I was earlier saying, like, where do I put my energy and attention and action and time? I have a question um, about how gendered that might be um, and how um, as a working mom, are you ever like really like, and I, cause I'd be really interested to see what Katie might say. That's for people who don't know, that's your wife. Um, if she feels like mm, mm. she's ever at a point of balance with her time, energy and attention. Um, cause I think sometimes men can work, can get there because there are not as many expectations on them around parenting. It's true, Tim socialize it's, you might have your internal expectations, but social wise, there aren't as many expectations for you around parenting and, and navigating family time and all of those different things. There's just a different set of expectations for women. And so I think we carry them differently. And so I remember, and this is more when Katie was home, but I remember talking with you and another colleague who had partners at home and you were talking about this balancing. And I was like, you all have no idea. You have no idea what it's like actually to be a working mom uh, and have to balance like home, family, and all of the kind of um, bits of labor that happen. And I'm not like, I'm not complaining about emotional labor. I really love being a mom and I love being a working mom and it works for me. But it just, as you said that, when you said like, in my balance, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I got it. I'm like, I've never felt that in my life since I had children that I have balance. Never once in my life have I been like, yep, I've hit that crystal spot, that clear spot where actually I'm giving my time and attention to all the places it needs to go in the right proportion. I've got, I've got thoughts. So I've never felt that either, but I have felt moments where there's been enough space in my life where I've, where in some ways I've been okay with its disarray. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more what I'm getting at. So like, I don't think I've gone through, I haven't, I haven't got to, I mean, I've kind of given up on the idea that I'm going to have it all sorted and together. Yeah. Right. Um, so just to just to clarify that piece. And so I'm interested in the gender mm-hmm. piece, right? Because uh, so because something I think that's happened particularly recently as kind of like gender roles shift, you know, is that there's also no limit of expectations on working fathers now, in my experience. Like working fathers are expected expected to go and work all day, come home be with the kids, take the kids to soccer. Like actually, like we haven't got to a point where there's greater balance in those gendered relationships. It feels to me, it just feels to me like mm-hmm. everybody's doing more. Everybody, just everybody's fucking, you know? And uh, and I know that if Katie was sitting here, she'd be like, no, there's a fundamental difference between my experience as a woman and your experience as a man. And of course there is, you know, of course there is, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that... Um... And it's hard to it's hard to uh, articulate because I think some of those pressures, some of those expectations, are so unspoken for women. Uh, but I think about Tim in your last two years as Katie's business has taken off, how much more stress you appear to have, and you've named it in our calls. Like, right, Katie's business has taken off, so now we have to do this, and like it has fundamentally changed your life now that she is a mm-hmm. working mom, right? And so. Mm-hmm. Um, that says to me that before that was the case, right? There was a different place of pressure 
right? And it was not just about, it was about expectation and role and what you each were doing. And so for me, it's like your own life, you could look to as evidence that there's actually been a different amount. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know, I guess I'm still in, I'm still in places where dads are applauded for doing the things that I think are dad things and, and moms are expected Mm -hmm. to. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's just a different, it's a different experience of how you spend your time and how the Mm -hmm. choices you make and, you know, um, yeah, I think we're still, I think we're not there yet is all I'm saying. And I think it is. No, I think we're very far from it. I mean, the thing with Kay and I has been, we kind of made this decision early on. We had the privilege of being able to make a decision early on, you know, that we wanted one of us to stay home with our kids, you know, and like, and we were going to try and do that, you know, and, and, uh, and that came like as a direct direct experience from both of our lives of having our families there or not at varying levels as we were growing up, you know. And so, um, and so in one in one ways that created some kind of balance, mm-hmm. right? That agreement, you know. But in another way, it created enormous imbalance because I was away from home much mm-hmm. more than I wanted to be. I was away from my children much more than I wanted to be, you know, and Katie was carrying Mm -hmm. the weight of the family, you know? And so, um, so as Katie's launched her business and that has begun to, what that's given me is an ability Mm -hmm. to be home more, but that means I have to redesign my entire business life to be able to do that, you know? And so you're right. I mean, it's like a, when you go through these processes of rewriting the script, whether it's within your own family or whether it's across an organization or whether it's across society as a whole, like, like it's a, it's a, it's a confusing mm-hmm. process, isn't it? You know, cause you're, you're rewriting your own sense of right. identity, you know? Right. And that doesn't happen in a vacuum, yeah. right? It yeah. happens within a societal context. It happens oh. within. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's when you talk about yeah. this root of this word, and how it does it has to do with equity. I mean, I think for sure, I want to say, like, I think our experiences of balance are deeply impacted by our social position, right? I think um, that uh, uh, there's that saying, like, you know, um, when you take things away with people of high privilege, like they feel like they're oppressed. And it's actually not at all about oppression, right? Like, it's actually just oh, yeah. like, just a little right. bit of leveling. Right. So I don't know that our perception of balance and and equity is exactly I mean, it feels deeply related to position uh, or it can be deeply related to position. I think, um, you know, it's why affirmative action is lauded by many marginalized groups and is completely being trying to be torn apart in the U.S. Right. Because it feels unfair to people with privilege that we would actually have programs that would help people level the playing field. So I don't know that I could say that feeling of balance works in issues of equity in the same way that it might work in our own internal compass. Right. Cause I think. Do you think that, um, do you think we've had, we've had some of this conversation before. Do you think that um, equity or justice is something innate? Do you think people have that? Do you think they're born with that? Do you think they're born, mm-hmm. you know, like that feeling we were saying of like, Oh, I know when mm-hmm. I'm kind of off course. Like I know when I'm out of balance, do you think people have an innate feeling in their gut if they tune into it that, knows when Hmm. things aren't just I think I think often I think often and I think um I think that those of us 
and I just us I would say those of us who are um, targets of that oppression probably get a really good sensitivity to that like oh hmm, little whiff of that there and we see it we see it more easily and more clearly and I think those of us who uh, would benefit from a, an imbalance of equity kind of clobber those feelings down, right? Like, uh, no, that's not what's happening now, right? Um, so I, uh, no, I think maybe there's an innate sense, but I think through socialization really early, we either get sensitized to it or we clobber down those feelings, right? I was just in Duluth, Minnesota, um, and we went to a lynching memorial, and uh, it was a um, an event that happened, and they they drug, it's a long story, but they drug these black men out of the jail. There was, there was actually, by the time they drug them out of the jail, the crime that they were accused of had already, like the doctor, they said that never happened. There was no evidence of any crime at all by the time they drug them out of the jail and they lynched them. Um, but, but the thing that, that struck us as we were hearing the story is there was a little boy who climbed up, I think they said on a tree to see better, the lynching. And uh, they asked him, they threw through and they asked him to throw over the rope. So this little boy threw over a rope to lynch a man. And so we were just sitting with this idea that what, I mean, I don't know how old he was. Let's just say between six and 12. By six and 12, he'd been involved in something that would absolutely require him to tamp down his sense of justice, whether he felt it innately or not. Like there's no way you could be in the world and be this little child and be asked to do this act and comply and have any sense of justice live in you like you, that would tear you apart you could not you couldn't live with that right it's the cognitive dissonance like where where would you put that in your brain this is unjust right and so i think that we have through generations when we are not and that's an extreme example but when we are the benefits of an act beneficiaries rather of inequity. Like we have learned to tamp down that knowing, tamp down that understanding, tamp down that reality. And when we are targets of it, we've been sensitized to really see it, right? So I think, yes, perhaps it is innate. I think equity between people is innate. I think it's a state we move from. I also just think we have very sophisticated, early, robust symptoms to move us away from that experience is how I might answer that. So as a, as a significant mm-hmm. beneficiary, right, uh, multi-generational beneficiary of the system you're pointing at, you know, uh, kind of as a result of my family, my class, my nationality, my race, I mean, all, all of that, access to wealth, all of it. Uh I feel like from a pretty early age, I was witness to a whole series of injustices. You know, familial and the increased in their uh, intensity mm-hmm. into my teens. Right. Um and that absolutely required me mm-hmm. to suppress and sever my relationship to my empathy. 
to be able to navigate through those circumstances. Because if I had stayed connected to my empathy as a young man in those circumstances, exactly. it would have been unbearable. It would have been psychologically unbearable for me uh, to be. I would have, I would have mm -hmm. shattered. My mind would have shattered. Mm -hmm. Um. And, you know, like we've said many times on this podcast, that's a construct, at least in in my life, was a construct of the education of the privileged classes. It was a design. It was a Victorian design in the education of the uh, ruling classes in mm -hmm. the empire, in the empirical system. So, so I just want to say, I, I just want to kind of like validate all of what you're saying, just from like personal experience and multi-generational family experience that sense of like yeah and um and i also want to say that like through it all i still knew what was just and what was not even though emotionally i had to hold that i had to like you know i mean in my in my 40 something whatever i am 43rd or 44th year right I'm beginning to really connect into the kind of emotion around it. And I can see in the elders of my family what right. it means to have not done that throughout your life. <laughs> Are I don't they fixing your air conditioning system there, again, Choose Something, something big. Apologies. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, and so, uh, but in, but through it all, and I right. don't, and I'm, and I don't know whether this is true for everybody, but my, my, uh, my instinct is that it actually isn't right but but for me i knew what was right and wrong through this through my entire childhood when it was being perpetrated upon me whether it was being perpetrated upon my family members whether it was being perpetrated upon my friends whether it was being perpetrated on other people at my school you know my powerlessness in the face of it, overwhelmingly difficult for me to process as a young person, either when, you know, but I like, I don't feel like, I feel like that's like that, that sense of what was right and wrong was like a piece I really fought to protect. I really fought to protect that as a young man, you know? And, um, yeah. So I just wanted to I kind of think, hear your reflection um, on that. I, I see that in you. I hear that when you tell stories about your coming up. Um, so, uh, so I think what I would say is like, yes, what, what you have described on this podcast, what you've described to me, what you describe in your work is a structural an intentionally structured extinguishing of empathy, right? Uh, you know, for empire, right? Like, so we just like, there's no doubt that that is happening. And I, so, and I think, I think, um, you're right. I think that for whatever reason, and I mean, like I, at some point I want to, like, I want to talk with, <laughs> I want to talk with someone who works with traumatized folks, like a neuroscientist, like, what is it that made you hold on to that? Right. Hold on. Like, no, I know that's wrong. I'm going to hold on to that knowledge, even though it's painful and other people suppress it. Right. Uh, because I think that you're right. I don't think everyone does hold on to it. And in fact, I think we are, um, typically really um um what's the word uh, reinforced for not holding on to it like 
he's you know, UK prime minister, right? Our president, right? Like, like we get reinforced for not holding on to any, any kind of empathy. Um, and so I don't right. know what made like that little light inside to Mary, like stay strong, but I think it gets extinguished in some people, but I do. And I do think it's why people trust you with this equity work, right? Cause you're not like, you're not like, Oh my gosh, I just learned about this. Oh my gosh, really? People are treated unfairly. Like, I think, you, I think, I feel like you keep that awareness in your bones and somehow it makes you trustworthy, even though you've had a, all of this experience of privilege and opportunity. And, uh, there's something about, no, I want to know more. No, I believe you. I've never seen you not believe people or question when they tell you their experiences. Right. Um, but I think it's unique. I think trauma tries to extinguish empathy. Right. And so I can think of the same thing for those of us who are deeply like might say deeply traumatized by those pieces. Like sometimes we can absolutely lack empathy. We can be ultra sensitized to what the experience of our people is and completely lack empathy to other people's experience. Right. I know you experience that. Right. When you begin to talk about privilege and oppression and people are like, nope, mm -hmm. don't want to hear any of that. Right. As if that pain isn't valid. Um, so mm -hmm. I think it's just it's one of, it's one of those things that. Um, yeah, it's it's like the intention, like just like we were saying about balance, the intention, how we set our intention around seeking balance. Like, I think we actually have to have an intention of wanting to see the pain of others or being willing to see the pain of others or the unfairness that happens. Right. And so, oh. so I'm aware we've got to watch, we've got to move this one out and allow right. this to be. Right. Well, we've just got into it, mate, which I love, you know, like we've just got, I feel like I actually want to just keep talking to you, but like, um, so, uh, I just want to acknowledge that there are mm -hmm. people within the ruling classes, right. Recurringly over history yeah, who have maintained yeah. that sense of justice, yeah. despite the context Good. that Good. they were raised in. Good. I just want to point to that. I just want to point to the ruling classes is not some like blanket mm. of of evil bureaucratic mediocrity you know or abusive purely abusive uh colonialism there are people within the ruling classes who campaigned within the english ruling right. classes who campaigned right. and voted for the abolition of slavery mm. right that like that like and so there's something about I just want to. I just want to point to that. I want to point to that as like a recurring historical right. that sense of justice and has not been extinguished. That it hasn't, right? And like, and it's real. And right. thank you for bringing back in that complexity because right. sometimes I worry yeah. that we like paint in these broad brushes. And I'm hoping that people stay with us that we can paint in a broad brush and understand that it's not the whole the whole of the complete picture. Because in every generation, yeah. most of us can point yeah. to a person, two people, three people. We can point to whole organizations, right? There's never been. We've never not resisted at every level. We've never not resisted, right? That is, mm. right? That is equally true, right? There so that there's been people level. have just been go, go along to get along, right? We've never, not, so I really appreciate your bringing back in that complexity. Uh, and I think just to say, I know we have to end, but like to bring it back into our work, I feel like that's, I'm pretty sure they're doing my lawn right now, I think is what's happening. I apologize. I think that's what's happening. Um, uh, to bring okay. it back to, into our work, I think that uh, two things, right? So if we work with groups of people, like carrying this acknowledgement 
around um, the pain of injustice and lack of equity, like always being willing to acknowledge that and always willing to see that people have will and are working toward ending it, like feels like two really important stances that we bring into our work, right? Um, so again, that idea of balance, it's like, yeah. I think it's interesting now because we were talking more about personal balance, but I feel like that's a balance that we strongly bring into our work. Both of those understandings equally at the same time. So look, sometimes there's just lawnmowers in the background used. Nope. That's the way it is, mate. There's nothing we could do about it, you know? <laughs> The listeners can't see how Gosh. worried you look on the on the video. <laughs> look, let's yeah. let's let's just mark this conversation as one we're going to keep having, you know. And like one of our key things is that re- there's you know relationship is the resolution. There's no resolution here, but to keep talking and keep learning, like that feels like yeah, that's what's going to inform our ability to act smarter and wiser and kinder. Yeah, thank you. We you just know, started for future generations. So thank you for the conversation. I believe you, oh, I, I get to pick a song first and then you read the poem, right? That's right. All right. That's right. So I'm going to pick a song called Motion Sickness by Phoebe Bridges. Uh, it's on the Strangers in the Stranger in the Alps album. Uh, and uh, it was recommended to me by my mate, John T, who I've known since I was uh, eight. Yeah, eight years old. And he recommends lots of music to me. But this is what I've been singing along to in the car a lot. So I hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah, I love the lines in the chorus. Does it make you want to dance? It, it makes me want. It makes me want to sing along. Mm. You know how some stuff makes you want to dance, but this one makes me want mm-hmm. to sing along. Like, yeah, I, yeah, that's me. Aaron. Nice, nice. So this poem uh, is called "Big Brown Dog," and I picked it for a couple of reasons. I was thinking how much you and I both love dogs. We do, and how much they actually bring some stillness and peace and maybe balance to our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I picked this one because it's about a dog and we both love dogs. And um, it's from a book of poems called What a Pleasure. And uh, it is a self-published book of poems by a man named John Fisher Merritt. And I also met him last week in Minnesota. He is um, a, a man who is, I wouldn't even begin to guess how old he is, but he's a senior man. And he has been working in cooperative farming for years and years and years and years and really doing some exciting stuff in cooperative farming. And he is a poet. And so his daughter-in-law self-published a book of his poems. So this is, this is his poem, Big Brown Dog. On winter mornings, I know when my man is preparing to go outside. He reaches into the closet for his coveralls. I approach him, wagging my best tail wags, oblivious to tail pain as I whack desk, chair, and closet door. You see, I have trained this wonderful smelling man to throw his coveralls over my head and speak to me in an affectionate tone of voice as I revel in the ambrosial smell of his body odor. best thing ever oh my gosh yeah right big brown dog i met that big big brown dog and she's a beauty (laughs) the ambrosial smell of my body odor how good is that i love that nice thank you tuesday right
Thank you, Tim. Oh my gosh, we just got started. That's it for this episode of Find the Outside, the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. If you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com. Links to all the resources, poems, books, songs we've mentioned during the show are in the show notes for this episode at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast or in the description for the podcast in the podcast app you're listening to us on. You can find the songs we played in today's show and every song we played in the previous shows on the playlist we created on Spotify. Just search Find the Outside on Spotify playlist, or you can find a link over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast. There's even songs we haven't played on the show on there that we just like. <laughs> it's true. Uh, th- this episode was edited and produced by uh, Mark Coffin at Soundgood Studio. And the theme music for the Find the Outside podcast, which has been upgraded for season two, is by Gary Blakemore. Mm-hmm. Take care, my friends. Cheers, bye. Bye Bye-bye.